Welcome to the Energetic Radio Podcast. My name is Dale Sidebottom. Each week, I'll bring you inspirational guests who will help you bring fun, energy, and purpose into your lives. Let the show begin. Welcome back to the podcast, everybody. Now, before we get into today's episode with Tiffany Vaughan, which is incredible, it's probably one of the most raw and vulnerable chats I've had with anybody in it. Um, yeah, it's an incredible episode that is really powerful. We do bring up a number of topics around mental health, suicide, depression, um, addiction, and so forth like that. So if any of that is really triggering towards you or somebody in your life, I just wanted to give you the heads up now that uh, um, we, we are going to be discussing these topics um, and it, it does it is really, really powerful. Um, I think this is a chat that yeah, is going to help a lot of people. Um, and yeah, just wanted to give you a heads up before we start. So I really hope you enjoy this extremely powerful episode. All right, everyone, welcome back to the podcast, episode number 264 with Tiffany Vaughan. How are you, Tiffany? I am doing good. Thank you for having me. That's my pleasure. Now, I think when we were just having a little chat before and I was really drawn to you because of your brand. Uh, obviously, everything you do, hard, beautiful journey. And I think if every, if it's, if there's uh, something that sums up life uh, for everybody, I think life is a hard, beautiful journey, no matter which way you look at it. So let's get stuck in it today. Um, where, where did this name come from? Like, is that, uh, is that something that you've been working towards for a while or it's just something that popped in or because I know we're going to talk about no. your life and different things <laughs> and you are an open book and that's why I love this but um, it really does summarize everything for you how did you come up with it actually uh, it came up when I was working with a podcast coach when I started thinking about starting a podcast and I had a really bad name, really bad. I'm not even going to actually tell you what it was. <laughs> and thank goodness I worked with this lady and, um, yeah, we, we talked about a few ideas and, and what I was trying to do with my podcast. And she came up with hard, beautiful journey. And it literally was like, yeah, that is That's it. Sweet. Cause that yeah. sums up my life in three perfect words. <laughs> So yeah, that it was a podcast coach. I I think it's brilliant and it really does summarize. And I suppose we will get into your entire journey, but I suppose the last two years have been hard for everybody um, with obviously lockdowns and, you know, life's changed, but for you particularly even harder, how, how have you, and if you don't mind sharing um, about your brother and, and things like that, but how have you been able to overcome that and now help other people? I think it's really inspiring. Thank you. Well, it, it started before my brother died actually in 20, 2020 or sorry, 2019 actually is when I got the idea to start a podcast and it was from my own life being really, really hard for the last 15, 20 years actually. And it was when my husband and I got married and we, we tried to start a family right away. And it wasn't working at all. And I was actually going to school uh, in the evenings. I was working full-time during the day, going to school in the evenings to get my professional designation in accounting. And 
we, we tried uh, right away to, as soon as we got married to have a child and it wasn't working at all. So we, um, we waited the year requirement in Canada to look into fertility treatments. And uh, we were pretty much told that like, you're going to have a hard time having kids. So we started that process uh, a year after we got married and it took five years and every procedure available at the fertility clinic to end up having our daughter. And so that was uh, a very difficult journey right there because I, I was doing that while I was going to school and working full time. And during that process, I actually had my first mental break and it was when I was sitting in, in one of my classes and I'm going to tell you how long I went to school for, and you'll understand why I had a mental break. I went to school for 10 years after high school to become a professional accountant because I took one class at a time every semester for 10 long years. And it was in the eighth year in the fourth year of trying to have a baby. And my brain just said, I'm done. Yeah. Yeah. And I was sitting in the back of a classroom and it felt like my brain just gave up and it, it felt like it was misfiring is how I explain it. And, um, from there, I actually started to feel like I was developing Tourette's because like my, I couldn't form words properly. I couldn't form thoughts properly anymore. And so I went and I went to a counselor right away and, um, thank goodness I went right away because this person really, really helped me just understand that it was just my brain. It was just me needing to work through a lot of stress that I was under And I started to, um, let go of some stuff that I was doing just to give, give myself a break. And so that was my first real experience with a mental health issue. And then we had our daughter and that was beautiful and thank God every day for her. Um, and then we tried to have another baby And we had one embryo left from the process with our daughter and it didn't work. And so we were left with no other options, but either have one child, which we were grateful for, or try the whole process again. And so we, we waited a little bit and then we said, no, let's try it again. And so, which is a very expensive cost. And we tried again and it was more successful this time in terms of getting more embryos. Uh, but the first round didn't work. The second round we put in frozen embryos and we got our two boys. <laughs> so oh. you never know what you're going to get. You don't, you um, don't. <laughs> no, no. The, the odds of getting babies from one frozen embryo is very low, let alone two. So when they told us that we had twin boys. We were like, what? Okay. So we, we had three boy or three babies through IVF. And that was 10 years of trying to have children. So it was very, very stressful. It's a long time to be, you know, in that sort of hopemism, you know, and trying to keep going and be so positive about it because you need to be positive about it. It's, that's a very long, Mm -hmm. like a decade. Wow. 
a decade. Yeah. That is mm. really good word. Hope, hopeanism. I like that Hope, word. Hopeanism. <laughs> I, I think, uh, hopeanism. I think, I think we've all had that for the last couple of years, but hopeanism that we actually get back to life. We can live again. <laughs> yeah. That we can actually enjoy our lives. Yeah. Yeah. So that was uh, 10 long years of trying to have our family and then actually trying to parent um, three kids, two of them twin babies. <laughs> the first year, let's just say I am really glad I took pictures. Because I know nothing, nothing, (laughs) (laughs) zero. And if you see the look on our faces and yeah, we look like walking dead. (laughs) It was exhausting. So it was, uh, but beautiful. So again, hard, but beautiful. Um, And then so where we lived, we were living in a small town, which didn't have a lot of childcare options for, uh, for twin babies. And my husband and I are both professionals and I wanted to go back to work. I'm going to be real. I was like, yeah, I'm going. (laughs) Um, but the childcare thing was tough. So we ended up hiring, um, a live in nanny, which she was, she was our angel. And, uh, we had her for two and a half years, um, through in that two and a half years, we moved to a new town, which we live in now. Um, but she at the two and a half year mark, uh, or sorry, two year mark, she decided to go to another family nearby, which we were very supportive of. And she's still part of our family today. But what happened when she left was we were left with reality and taking care of these three kids. And she was a saint, like I said, and she, she kept a lot of stuff from us to, I think, protect us, um, about their behaviors that were starting to emerge. And when we had to put them into childcare facilities, that's when poop got real. And, we were getting phone calls. We were getting write-ups. We were getting everything. They were calling us in to meet with them about their behaviors. And it was like, what the, what is happening? Like, why do we keep getting these calls all the time? I thought like, they're just, they're cute little kids. And no, no, there was some serious behavior stuff that was emerging. And our daughter had actually been diagnosed with ADHD about a year prior to us putting them in day homes, all of them in day homes. And when we got that diagnosis, we, we kind of were like, okay, what is ADHD? Had no idea what it was. Um, but then we got the diagnosis that all three of them now have ADHD, all of them and ODD. So oppositional defiance disorder. Wow. And that's a lot to, uh, it's a lot to process. Um, a lot like I, to process. I'm an ex-teacher and I understand, uh, you know, what, how that sort of hits families when they're not ready for it. And particularly when you get that all in one go, uh, that, mm-hmm. that must have been really hard to process. It was extremely hard to process. And in that moment, there was a lot of, first of all, guilt that we didn't look into it more when they diagnosed our daughter 
it was kind of like, why didn't we even look into it? Right. But we were also taking care of babies. And <laughs> so I give myself grace. You um, should, but you then should. When, twins. Yeah. Hard and twins. Hard. <laughs> Go easy on yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. And then all three of them. So I was like, what is going on here? So I became an ADHD mama bear. And I was like, what is this? And what do we need to do? How do we handle this? What strategies can we put in place? Um, like I'm going to lose my mind. And so was my husband, if we don't figure something out here. And so I went to a couple of seminars. I actually took my mom to one, uh, and we were sitting and it was held by, it was being, um, uh, given by a doctor who has ADHD. And so he, his examples were so amazing. They were so concrete that it, there was times where my mom and I would look at each other and we like, well, that's so-and-so and that's so-and-so. Well, that's so-and-so. <laughs> and then at one point, at one point we both looked at each other, our jaws just dropped and, and we looked at, at the same time. We said, that's James, who is my husband. <laughs> we're like, Oh, Okay. Okay. All right. So <laughs> that's what's been going on for the last 15 years of our marriage. Now I get it. I get it. I get it. I get it. Cause there's certain things that were not making sense with him either. Right. And like frustrations that were, would build up. And, but then once I understood the ADHD brain and just, you know, tendencies and stuff, then it was like, okay, that makes, it doesn't make it easier, but it helps it make sense. Right. Yeah. Helps you process so it. So it helps you process it. And so then I realized that I have three kids and a husband all with ADHD and possibly two out of three dogs with ADHD. So I was they diagnosed. Um, <laughs> no, but they definitely show signs for sure. So Anyway, um, I'm definitely the black sheep. Um, but what it helped me do is it helped me advocate for my kids in the schools and in, in sports. Uh, it helped me understand my husband better. It helped, it helped discuss things with our parents and our, our family about what was going on that helped everybody understand our, our family situation even, but that process, uh, was very difficult as well. And in 2018, I found myself hiding behind the clothes in my closet one day, because hiding from my kids, quite literally hiding. I didn't want them to find me. I was, I was done again. My brain was at the point where I was like, I can't deal with this anymore. Like ODD oppositional defiance disorder adds another element to the diagnosis because it's loud. It's very loud. There's a lot of yelling. There's a lot of chaos. And my brain was just done. I couldn't handle it anymore. And yeah, I, I went into my walk-in closet and I hid behind some clothes so they couldn't find me. And I could have locked the door, but my brain was not working. <laughs> it wasn't so, functioning that well. <laughs> no. So I, I just chose the clothes. <laughs> um, and it was in that moment though, in all seriousness, where I was, I was 
planning on checking out, like literally checking out of my existence, my life. Cause I was, I just, I didn't know how to deal anymore. And, and I, to be very honest with you in that moment, I was very angry at God in general, just like it took 10 years to have these beautiful children. And now I've got a parent in this situation. Like why, 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 why were we given this journey? Right. Why weren't we given the easy kids that just are easy? And so, uh, again, I knew I was in a bad place. So I went and, um, my daughter actually was in the process of going to play therapy and I really connected with her therapist who was also, um, adult therapist. And I just really connected with her and I started seeing her and her name's Jenna. And I call her my Jenna because her and I are so tight now. And she literally saved my life. She saved my life. And, um, it was through hours and hours and hours and hours of therapy with her that I got to a place where I was okay. And it was in her session, one of her sessions where she looked at me and she said, you know, you're supposed to do something with this. Right. (laughs) And I said, yeah, I have a feeling I'm supposed to too. Otherwise, why would I be, you know, tasked with all of this? I don't know. And she said, well, I'm, I'm asking you to figure that out. So I uh, went home and, <clears throat> and I had always thought about writing a book and that's been on my mind forever. And so I thought about writing a book and talking about all this and it can help someone, I guess. And then I was driving home one day and, and I heard, I was listening to a podcast and I had the thought who in the hell would listen to me? Like, why would anybody, I'm not starting one. They're crazy. That's crazy. No one will listen to my voice. And then that week, I think it was that week I woke up at three in the morning one night and I ordered a a microphone off, microphone. off of Amazon. <laughs> that's a start. If anyone's done yeah. it, they know that's exactly how you start. At three in the morning. I'm like, what are you doing, girl? And <laughs> it sat in the box for quite a while. And then I thought, okay, okay, I'm just gonna tell my story and our story. And if it's I, I had a plan on four to five episodes. Um to talk about the whole thing, right. And the details and stuff. And if nobody listens after that, nobody, it's over, at least it's out there. Right. It's the start of a book is how I was kind of thinking about it. And here we are, um, five, I'm into season five and the first season was pretty much talking about my hard, beautiful journey and stuff about ADHD and, um, marriage stuff. And then it, turned into talking with other people about their hard, beautiful journeys. And it has been the best thing to happen besides my kids and every, like, like, it's just been therapy for me and talking with all these, it's, it's opened my eyes and opened my heart so much. I can't even describe it. It's, it's been an incredible and I think uh, there was a podcast I was talking on the other day about his journey that 
It allows you to have conversations and learn, but be present more so than, do you know what I mean? Like when you were listening to that podcast that you thought about writing a book, right? you're driving, do you know what I mean? You're multitasking, you're doing something else. So you are not fully present in what you're doing, but right now that is essentially what we're doing. So for that, for that moment that, you know, that's our mindfulness. It's, it's really incredible, isn't it? Mm-hmm. It is. It it's, there's been some, I actually just talked to my mom about this the other day. There's been so many times where I've said to myself, like, cause podcasting is a lot of work. And I think you'd agree with that. And like, is this worth it? Like, should I be doing this? And, and then I hear from people like that I'm helping them. And, and then my mom said, but it's therapy for you too. Mm, and so if true. it's helping, if it's helping you and one other person, then it's worth it. And I, I'm reminded of that every single time I get on an interview with somebody and they tell me how I've helped them or how they've reminded me of something. And, and one thing that I wanted to do from the beginning of my podcast, and I I think it's on every episode is at the end of every single episode, I say what I'm grateful for that day. And then I ask my guests what they're grateful for that day. And it just brings it, it closes out the episode to remember the beautiful part of yeah. the story that we just talked about or something else completely different, right? Just to remember that, yeah, life is freaking hard, but there is so much good and so much beauty as well. So that's been, uh, that's been really cool even just to hear people's version of beautiful because yeah. it can be something different than mine too. Right. Well, everybody's got a different, I think it's like an emoji. Do you know what I mean? They emojis mean different things to different people. It's like beautiful, joyful, all, all these words can relate differently to people. And um, it's really what you want to see. So I, I love that aspect, you know, finishing off your podcast with a little bit of gratitude not only is it great for you and your guests and you get to feel that because being around grateful people inspire that, but for people listening, it reminds them too for that simple check-in, you know, and instead of mm-hmm. focusing on the negatives or the things they don't have, reframe it and think about, oh, yep, well, maybe that instead of focusing on that one negative, what about all the other good things that have happened? Because we're, we're wired to do that too. You, you would know that, that we're yeah. wired to focus on that one negative email, but what about the amazing 99 others? You know, but that, that one will grind our gears. Um, so simple reframing, like what you've just done there, I, I think it's beautiful. And I, I bet your guests love that too. They do. And like I said, I started just talking about my story and I would end it with gratitude. So I didn't know if they would actually want to do it or not. And I was very pleasantly surprised. They were all just like, a lot of them came with like a list. <laughs> I'm like, you just need to give one or two. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, let's yeah, do one been, right. Really let's good. do one right now. So I've got, uh, I've actually created these cards. Normally roll a dice. So there's six question on there because I find I like using play, like what you said when your daughter was going to play therapy, that if yeah. you make it fun and a game, people are going to want to do it. So I've got six questions here. Do you have, uh, do you have a dice nearby, Tiffany? No, you don't. All right. So no, you just need to no. you just need to pick a number, one, two, three, four, five, or six, please. Four. Four. Okay. Uh, when I woke up this morning, I was very grateful for uh, coffee. Coffee. Oh, good. How do you have your coffee? I just put a little bit of milk in it. A dash. But it's I uh, yeah, a dash. I have to have coffee in the morning. 
Beautiful. Well, I like that. I'll, I'll pick two. Who am I excited to see today and why? Well, Tiffany, I'm excited to see you because I think your story is inspirational. And um, I know we're going to get into it more now, but just dealing with, um, I think parenting's hard enough, particularly when <laughs> it's taken you so long to become a parent. And then you've got so many other things to deal on top of it. And um, for you to overcome that and put the work into yourself to now help other people. Um, I think that is something that and I'm sure you you probably don't get that much time with three kids and working and everything like that, but you should be really proud of that just from overcoming Thank that you. story and then being able to share that with other people because um, I've only got a son and he's young, but even when you're just caught up in that moment of like, this is hard, like you've got no rationale of anything else happening in the world. So for you to have extra layers on top of that and then be able to now help other people dealing with that, um, I think that's amazing. Thank you. Thank you very much. And it's hearing stuff like that, that reminds me that I am doing what I should be doing. And I've always had, um, a, a feeling of service, uh, of helping people. And I'm just so grateful <laughs> that I, I discovered that this was my thing and yeah. that people are resonating with it. Oh, well, I'm sure they are. And, and, and there's so many people out there that haven't found their thing yet. And I would exactly like what you're saying, keep looking, don't, don't just settle um, because it's amazing when you can do something that helps other people and, you know, it makes a difference on their life because at, at the end of the day, that's what gives us purpose and value. So um, keep looking if you are out there now. Um, let's talk about, we're talking about your immediate family, um, your brother, mm -hmm. obviously, you know, battled with addiction and things like that. So you had that on top as well. So did, mm -hmm. were there, did you ever have any spare minutes besides hiding behind the clothes in your, like, it, it, no wonder your mind is just all over the place. Like, oh, do you want to talk about I know. that? Oh, yeah, I, I, I love talking about my brother and I don't like talking about, you know, the fact that he died, but I, I again, I'm finding... Uh, hope and peace through it. And um, so my brother, he had a lot of unresolved trauma from his early teen years and he battled addictions and mental health challenges since he was a young, like around 10, 11 years old. And um, there was just a lot of a lot of stuff that he was dealing with and he got into some uh, crime and into drugs and he spent a couple of um, times in the, in a prison. And then in his, in mid twenties, he, he got out and of prison and there were many, 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 many good years where he was doing well. Uh, he ended up having uh, some children and, just was such a good dad. And, but always just when, he, when he grew up pretty much in his formative years in a prison or in a re rehab facility or in a remand type center, the, there was a lot of basic skills that he was not taught properly, like how to take care of money and how to pay bills and how to how to live pretty much, right? Life, life literacy, really. That's what it comes to. Life it literacy, yeah. exactly. The prison system is not 
well-equipped for teaching people how to deal with that stuff. And so when he got out, he was used to a barter type system or I'll trade you smokes for this or, you know, so he didn't learn anything about money and money was the root of all of his issues throughout the rest of his life. He was always battling with, um, how to pay for things and how to do this or how to do that or pay his rent. Like it was just an ongoing battle. And plus there, he has an addictive personality. So there was definitely some, um, drugs, but there was a big portion of his life, uh, where he was using pot, but really nothing else heavy. Then, um, there, I don't, I don't remember when it was, but he, he was starting to have some teeth pain, like, and his doctor prescribed him Oxycontin. And that was the beginning of the end pretty much. And that went on for a long time where he was addicted to that. Then he went on the methadone program. And then we had more good years where it was working and he, he was, um, holding jobs steady. And, but the problem with the methadone program is you have to go in to get it. And he was a truck driver and that really did not work well with his schedule. Um, because he would have to travel out of the, out of town sometimes. And so he wouldn't be around to have his methadone. So that's when he went on to the Suboxone program And that again was working quite well, but then it wasn't because with Suboxone, you can share it. And so there was some sharing of his subs and he wasn't getting the amount that he required to not have those cravings anymore. And so he, because oxys were harder to get because they started regulating them a bit more he turned to other stuff like fentanyl and fentanyl is a beast all on its own. It is the worst drug out there right now. In my opinion, it is extremely uh, toxic. It's extremely deadly. And uh, he, he was only using it for a short amount of time and he went downhill very, very quickly. And in October of last year, he, sorry, in July of last year was the first big overdose where my mom rushed him to the hospital and they gave him naloxone. And I live about three hours away from them. So I rushed down there and, um, they said like, it wears off the naloxone wears off. So you need to keep your eye on them. So we kept him at my mom and dad's house and I watched him like a hawk. We're, we're 18 months apart. So we were extremely close growing up and, and in the last few years, him and I like just became very, very close. So seeing him in this situation was very, very hard. Um, and then in August, he came to my house and spent five days with me detoxing. And if you've ever watched anybody you love or anybody for that matter, uh, detox off of an opiate, it's the worst thing you can ever see in your life. It's, it's the flu times a million is how it's 
very, you very you bad. Can't really, I've, I've never experienced it, but you can't help them, can you? Like it's something they have to go through. It's something they have to go through, but I, I'll probably cry. Um, you gotta, I was just there. I just, he's, he was bald. So I, uh, I rubbed his head and I got him like foot baths and laid with him. I played him, um, motivational podcast episodes and some motivating music and, and we had lots of laughs too. And, um, sorry and no don't be sorry it's like take your time you're doing really well yeah it was just uh there was there's just you just hope right there's that they're gonna get through it and and uh he was supposed to go to um treatment uh, about a week later and that's why he was at my house was to detox so that he could get into a treatment facility that is nearby here and he was here at my house with my mom and my mom was going to take him um after they left here but something happened where he couldn't get in until two weeks from after he detoxed and so when that happened, I, I just had this feeling like, oh no, he's, he's going to go back home and he's not going to end up going right. Like, I just wish that she could have taken him right there. And, but that didn't happen. And he went back and when you're dealing with an addict that doesn't do well with money and doesn't have, you know, their living situation stable, in terms of rent and bills and all of that, like one of the big worries is not having money to pay for rent. Like if they don't go to work. And so he was just like, I need to go to work. I need to pay for my rent. I need to pay for my Suboxone. And, and, and so he just said, I can't go to treatment. I need to go to work. And that's a real, real concern for addicts that are trying to make it but don't want to be out on the street. And so he, he didn't go to treatment and he started working again. And I just knew it was, I caught, I was talking with another friend of mine who her brother also passed away in January of this year of fentanyl. And she used a term that describes exactly what I was feeling and it's anticipatory grief I knew a year before he died that he was going to die and it was just a matter of time. And it was just, you wait, right. For that call. Yeah. Well, it's, um, it must be extremely hard because it's not sudden. It's something that, you know, is probably inevitable, but you, you want to do anything you can, but physically you can't, you can't lock someone away. You can't, like that must be the, the hardest thing about it, that it's really out of your control, but you've got to deal with it. Like, is, yeah. is that something like, like when obviously it's, it's not nice that you've got your friend that's gone through the same thing, but at least you can be there for each other. Is that sort of probably one of the hardest things about the grieving process is that it started when they were, they were still here. Yeah. 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 That was when I, when she said that term, like, 
to be real, I, I, and I even remember saying it to my husband, maybe five years ago, it's just a matter of time. Mm. And, and, but in the last year for sure of his life there, it was, you're already preparing yourself for it. And, um, what, what, uh, how you're going to feel, um, when it's, when it happens and I can guarantee you, you think you know how bad it'll be, but you don't until there it's until you get that call yeah. and it's very, very devastating. But one thing that I have, um, realized over the, through this process and, and I hope that I don't, um, sound insensitive because I, I, I recognize that my mom and my dad and all other parents that lose a child in any way is very, very, very hard. My mom especially is like having a very hard time with this. But one thing that I've noticed is that siblings are, their grief is definitely under under it's overlooked is how I would definitely um, put it. Uh, it's usually the parents and the spouse or the children of somebody that passed away and the sibling. It's like a lot of people expect you to get over it or think that you're over it quicker than you are. And what I want to say about that is just like you're probably closer to that person than anybody was for so many years of your life like where you are some in some cases inseparable and to think that you would get over the loss of like your best friend is just it it blows my mind right and and I know that this is happening because I'm part of a sibling grief group on Facebook with thousands of people. And it's the same thing. You hear the same thing from a lot of them that like, this was my best friend in the whole world. And, but I've even heard like, well, they don't even live in the same city as you. Like, what? How how do people feel? How can you justify or tell somebody like, do you think that it's people that are not empathetic or they're just, they, they don't understand the, what the power of their words to me is, is, I don't know. Like how can people I think it's the power of your words? Yeah. Like they, they don't think it's as impactful as it is, is like, cause not every, people aren't trying to be malice. People aren't trying to be a no. mean person, but I just, they, they don't realize the impact that they're actually having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I, I honestly think that that's it. And that's why I bring it up today because it is, it is, uh, it's hard reading these things from all of these siblings and knowing that that is actually how it feels and that, that they are lost. They are devastated without their, their brother or their sister. And they don't really have anybody to talk about it with because it's like, it was just your brother or sister. It wasn't your yeah. kid, you know? So anyway, I bring that up because, um, in this process of losing my brother and 
living with my brother all of his life with a variety of addictions and mental health challenges, I was already in the coaching field um, besides doing my accounting, but I'm, I've definitely narrowed down my niche to working with siblings that are having a hard time with their, with their brother or sister and their connection with them, because there were many years where my brother and I were not connected. Like we had a really hard time for a few years there. And it was in the last three almost four years of his life where, well, it was actually, it was 2018 when I was hiding behind the clothes in my closet. And I, in that moment made a decision to really take care of myself and understand myself. And it was in those therapy sessions where I just said, if I'm going to give myself that where I'm going to look into my own well-being and what makes me tick and forgive myself, then I owe it to my brother to also give him that and understand him. And, and I use the words and I'm just going to love him through it. And I'm going to cry. It's, um, it was, it, it, it's really, sorry to cut you off. It's a, it's a really powerful thing that you just said there because it doesn't matter what anybody's going through. You can't really give yourself to anybody until you fully love yourself. Like, and, and like you just said there, but then also once you've done that to push everything else aside unconditionally and, and just, you know, put essentially the relationship and the connection with your brother, that's, it's such a, like a brave and powerful thing that like, but like, I don't think yeah. that would have happened unless you had taken that initiative Tiffany, and, and done the work for yourself to, you know, to be happy with that person you saw in the mirror. Okay. And, and that's, and that doesn't matter where anybody's listening to this right now. You've got to be that you've got to look in the mirror and love that person you see and before you can give yourself to anybody. And I'm sure that's what you talk to people about as well at, at any aspect of life. Yeah. 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 And it's very true. I, until I made that decision to love myself and understand what makes me tick. And I couldn't get anywhere near trying to understand my own brother. But as soon as I started giving myself grace and giving myself, um, understanding that's when I was like, okay, well, if I'm dealing with this, he's dealing with this, you know, like I, I should be able to give him, grace and understanding. And, and I did, and it was the best thing that ever came out of my mental health breakdown was the, uh, sorry, was the, sorry, the reconnection with my brother. Yeah. Yeah. And and unfortunately it took you having a breakdown and a lot of times the people you talk to, and I know, I've had a couple of breakdowns that that's when things actually occur, like, because you've got a decision, you can either keep going. Yeah. Like you can either look at it as an opportunity or keep going the way you're going. Um, So well done for, you know, changing that direction because looking from where you are now, I bet you're so glad that that actually occurred. I know a mental breakdown is never a good thing and people don't want it, but you wouldn't have had what you got in the long run if you hadn't had that, I suppose. Yeah. And I think 
even in the last year of his life. Um, like I said, I, there were many moments where I thought he wasn't going to be here. And I think it was, and there were many times actually where he was, he was trying to overdose, but I'm going to be really real. He was, and he, he would phone me or text me and he would be very mad that it didn't work. And he would just say, cause he was just in such a really hard place. Right. And, and he just kept saying, why won't it work? Like, I, he, he won't let me go. And he, like, I don't know why this isn't working. And, and I just like, what, it's really hard listening to your loved ones say that they're, no they're ready to That's, go. Wow. Right? Yeah. Um, but, uh, of course, um, when you're dealing with somebody that is obviously trying to end their life, that is a huge concern. And, um, so I, I was working with somebody that, uh, I knew was a trauma specialist in the city that he lived in. And so I paid for my brother to go and see a trauma specialist and, And then I also had another friend who was so generous and her foundation paid for a session for him to go as well. And some of these sessions were three hours long and, and they were really, really good. But there was one point where I said, I think I need to go with him. I think I need to sit with him and just let him know that I'm there. And so I asked his therapist, I asked my brother and both of them said, yes, absolutely. I think it would be a good thing. So I went with my brother and it was a six hour, very intense wow. trauma therapy session. And so for six hours, I heard things that I knew some about, but not everything, but I'm very grateful for that six hours because I learned so much about my brother. He learned a lot about me. We learned a lot about our relationship, um, about stuff, other stuff in our family. And it was, I think that that was, he wasn't meant to go anywhere yet until we had those moments. Yeah. Well, because now I'm taking what we've went through in the last year and I'm using it to help other people now. Wow. And he's, he's really, really helping me in that way. Well, it's, I think exactly what you just mentioned there, that that would have been horrific. And I can't imagine how hard that would have been, but you're changing that mindset and essentially that is what gratitude is it's focusing on the positives and now you're actually using that really tough time but a beautiful connection that you always have to now what you learned help other people and Mm -hmm. I think that is in itself you know from because you have to remember that that time and what you went through but now to give that to other people that probably don't that haven't had that experience and and I just, that's incredible, Tiffany, it really is. Um, Thank you. That, that you're able to help people from things that you've dealt with and, and been through. Um, so hard, beautiful journey. I think people listening right now, you're, you've had a really hard journey like and but there've been so many beautiful parts in it as well. And if, if people are listening now and their life is hard, try and focus on the beautiful parts of it because if you keep connecting to the hard parts, it will be hard. Um, 
but try and focus mm-hmm. on some positive. So you've mentioned your podcast, you've mentioned your coaching, you've mentioned helping. And, and if people don't want to listen or work with somebody that's lived so many lives within your life already, you're like, we yeah. can talk all day about this. Where, <laughs> yep. where can people reach out to uh, connect with you? And probably more before, sorry to keep talking, but probably more importantly, just thank you for being so open and honest and vulnerable because that is how people people can share. That's how people know it's okay. That's how people learn um, the more people that are sharing their story like what you're doing. So where can people do everything I've just mentioned there? Every single thing is on my podcast or on my website at hardbeautifuljourney.com. My podcast episodes are all on there as well with uh, show notes and a blog and videos and Um, I'm starting to add all of my podcasts to YouTube as well uh, on Instagram and on Facebook, uh, hard, beautiful journey. And I also have a private Facebook group called finding hope through your siblings addiction. And yeah, that is, you can find me everywhere on at hardbeautifuljourney.com. All right. Well, everybody listening, I'll have uh, in show notes 264, I'll have links to uh, Tiffany's website and things like that. And um, Tiffany, before I let you go, uh, obviously as a podcast host, and I know you are as well, that you you find a guest and you do a little bit of research and you think, oh, this is going to be a really interesting chat. I've never just sat back the feeling what what the raw honesty and vulnerability that you shared today. Um, I just in admiration for you and and what you're doing and turning such life experiences that that are really tough and could break so many people and turning them into such positive experiences that now you're actually helping other people to empower their lives um and i'm sure you don't do this often but i hope you sit back and just be really proud of what what you've been able to do with what you've been dealt um because i know so many people wouldn't use it as a positive it is a negative um but you really are bringing out the beautiful in your journey and i i just want to thank you for doing that and keep doing it because um the world needs more of that at the moment thank you thank you so much like honestly it's hearing hearing that that keeps me going in those days where you just want to stop so thank you my pleasure and, and if anybody is listening to this and there is somebody that might be going through a tough journey or, or something like that. Reach out to them and just let them know how proud you are of them or like just a little message here and there. It, it, it takes no time and it can mean so much. Um, and if this episode reminds you of that, please go and do that. But also reach out to Tiffany because it takes so much so much energy and guts to get up each time and share that story like you have today. Uh, so episode 264, please go to our website, reach out to her, make contact. Tiffany, thank you so much for your time today. I've, I've, I've been blown away, to be honest, and I really appreciate it. <laughs> thank you. Thanks again for having me.